At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to His followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as He marks out the way of discipleship for us. Okay, I saw some coats, I saw some hoodies, of course, I saw some blazers and plaid. This is great plaid weather. Wow, man, it was a good day. Somehow, Michigan and Michigan State won in the same week. Yes, absolutely. Uh, to their opponents, we love them as Jesus loves them, but... Good riddance. All right. <laughs> oh, man, it's a good day. I'm so glad to be in the house of the Lord with you all. And I want to share something. Growing up, I grew up with three older sisters. And I, because of my three older sisters, was forced to watch certain shows. This doesn't mean I enjoyed the shows, okay? But I was forced to watch certain, certain shows. And with my mom as well, she had specific shows that she liked. And so when thinking about this sermon, there's two shows that came to mind. The first is a show that many of you have heard of, maybe if you are above the age of 40, and it's called Cheers, right? Maybe you've heard of Cheers, and it has to do with this one little establishment, this bar, and you have, what's his name, Mayday, something Mayday Jones or whatever, and he is the guy, former pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, and he has all these friends of his, and they all go and they have community at his bar. And then the other was the one that I was forced to watch with my sisters, and it is the show Friends. And Friends has everything to do with a couple 20-year-olds that go to this coffee shop, and it's called Central Perk, and they go and they sit on the couch and they talk about their jobs and their relationships and future, and, and you almost feel like you could relate to where they, they are in life. And so I was looking up, these are actually, in their season or their series finale, they're two of the five most watched series finales ever. Cheers is number two on that list. 85 million people watched the finale to that show. And then you have friends, 64 million people watched the finale of that show. And I was thinking about that, a lot of people. Why were they able to connect so much with their audience? Why was I forced to watch Cheers with my mom and friends with my sisters and, and know the quirkiness of these characters and the relationships they had. And, and I think it's because we all long for that kind of friendship. We all want that type of relation with people. We want to have people we can laugh with. <laughs> we want to have people we can process with. We want to have people we can be safe with as we share our hearts. We, we want to have uh, the, the norms and the Phoebes. <laughs> we want to have the ones that, they're kind of free spirits and, and the ones that make you laugh. We all hunger for genuine friendship. 
And, and so I think about our church, and I think about our specific community, and, and I would say it's no different here. We crave to be in a place where we're known, we're loved, and people are glad that we're around. You know, if you walked in here and you walked in the church and you saw me, I'm like, oh, they're back? Great. You, you'd probably be pretty concerned, right? Or maybe I just took off in the other direction. You're, man, what, Pastor Winston, he doesn't even want to see me here, right? Or, or if you went to the coffee shop, right, or a little cafe, and they're like, well, you want a coffee? And then they're like, yeah, sure, get it yourself. You know, you're going to be like, really? That, that's, this is, this is odd, you know, it, that's something we want, that people are excited to, to see us and to know us and, and connect with us. And so when I, when I think about these shows, in hindsight, uh, the popularity should have caused all of us to start thinking about why and, and maybe even how. And do we have a, a healthy view of friendship? Or, or is our view... <laughs> Maybe skewed because of things we have seen. Maybe because of a cheers or because of a friends. Because of just TV in general. And then better yet, asking a question that some of us, this might be hard for us to hear. But do we have real friends? Do we have real friends that truly love us and invest in us? And see us. Well, today as we continue our series, The Followers Trail Guide. We're continuing through John 13 through 16. And we started uh, last week talking through John chapter 15. We're going to continue on in John chapter 15. And this message I've been really looking forward to. Because Jesus is talking on the topic of relationships. And as someone who's extremely relational, who draws energy from people, who loves to have just people around almost at all times, I, I hunger for that. I desire that. It's something that, that I, I continue, want to, continue wanting to build on relationship. And, and I would love for our church to be the most relational church. I would love for people to walk in the doors and say, man, that, that church is a little extra. <laughs> they, they greeted me a little too much. They saw me a little too much. They were a little too assertive. I'd rather stand on the side of being overly loving and overly assertive than under-loving and under-assertive. I would rather be a church that is chasing passionately after the community of Christ that he has designed us to have. And that's why, as we today are going to be talking about, we'll find two ways that Jesus will bring clarity to where believers can find true community. We're going to talk about two ways that Jesus brings clarity to ways that we can find true community. And, and the first way is that Jesus challenges his followers to think differently about love. To think different. Jesus defines our, our definition on love. You know that word, love, we talk about it a lot. Man, that word, I just feel like it is watered down. It's corroded. It's rusty. It's taken out of context. And, and true 
godly love, what even is that? What does that even look like? And can we even obtain it? We see in John chapter 15, starting in verse 12, what Jesus defines as a definition of love. Let's go ahead and turn to this. This is what it says. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You know, as we read these words, we see clearly that, that Jesus' love is, is just, it's just different. It's different than any, any kind of love that, that many of us have experienced. And it's different in practice, and it's different in, in vision. And so again, Jesus, immortal, we are mortal. Jesus did not have to die. Jesus chose to die. And, and so that love that, that he reveals to us is one of, of extreme sacrifice. And so I want to highlight that word for a second. Because sacrifice is essential to genuine friendship and love. You can't have genuine friendship and genuine love without genuine sacrifice. So if you have friendships and, and you see and experience those friendships on a weekly or daily or monthly basis, there's probably going to be sacrifice in those friendships. Some of us, we probably have examples of the other way around. We are the ones that are constantly sacrificing. We're the ones that are, are constantly pouring out. We're the ones that are giving of our time and our resources and our energy, but it's, but it's not reciprocated. That's not friendship. That's probably more like mentorship. That's probably more just, hey, I'm loving on this person, but, but it's not in return. We probably have people in our life that they're like, man, you're my best friend in the world. And, and they believe it, and you probably are, but it ain't the other way around. <laughs> that it's like, man, I, I do love you, I do care for you, but, but they ain't your best friend. <laughs> you are just investing in them, caring for them, but it's one-sided. Genuine friendship involves great sacrifice. So you look at verse 12 and 13, there's this restatement of the new commandment. If you go back to John 13, verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. The idea of sacrifice is all in that phrase, just as I have loved you. What's Jesus doing? He's giving us a standard. As he gave his life for us, as he surrendered and died, even when he didn't have to die, even when he could have stopped it, but he did it because of that deep love, he gives us what genuine friendship is. He says, do as I've done, just as I have loved you. 
just as I have sacrificed for you. Do, do that with others. You know, sacrifice is um, not always easy. Sacrifice is uncomfortable. It's not always working within your time frame. Some people are like, oh, I'm so sacrificial. But it has to align exactly on their terms and their time within their account, with, when, with their allotted uh, bandwidth of what they want to give. Usually genuine sacrifice will cost you something. It will cost you your energy at times. But at the same point, if you have those relationships, people will pour back into you. And I, and I think about Jesus, this point forward, Jesus is modeled that, that selfless, others-focused, sacrificial lifestyle. And, and he gives that to us to see. I, I say it often because I just I love the verse in, in Mark 10, 45, and, and the idea of even the Son of Man. He, he did not come to be served. Like Jesus did not come to be crowned king for himself. He, he did not come to live a comfortable life with the 70-inch TV and air conditioning and now heat. Like he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's what he came to do. Jesus on a regular basis, cast just a completely different vision of love that had ever been expressed. And that, and that vision cast was one of caring for others first because of his deep-seated love for them. And he calls them friends. kidding me he'll give his life he'll shed his very life blood they'll betray him we will betray him we will say we love him and yet do what we know is not honoring to him and he calls me friend When I think about friendship and even how Jesus shows it, he, he's leaning into his humanity in this, connecting his followers to a term that they'll understand. I love how the commentator, one of the commentators I was reading this week said it, it means that no longer do we look at God from afar. We are not like slaves who have no right whatsoever to enter into the presence of the master. We are not like a crowd who only have a glimpse of the king when he passes in the street. Jesus gave us this intimacy with God so that he no longer is a distant stranger, but a close friend. The love of Christ for his friends shines brighter than any human love that we can have. And, and that love, we see Romans 5.8, even, even when we were sinning, 
even in the midst of us being fallen and broken, he still died for us. Again, back to John 15. You are my friends if you do as I command you. Friends of Jesus, they show their love through their obedience. They show their love through action. And some of us might be like, well, that sounds kind of rough. Like, okay, you're going to have to do this to show love. But that's how we show love to our friends. Man, I love you. You're so awesome. Man, your friend was gossiping about you the other day. Right? That's, that's not obedience. That's not caring. Man, I'll be there to help. I will, I'll be there at the move. Man, he was a no-call, no-show. That's not a friend. You see what I'm saying? Just like any friendship, we see the genuineness of that friendship by their life and their life towards us. They were there. They showed up. They cared for me. They invested in me. It's the same with us and our relationship with Christ. You know, it's interesting. Um, I didn't want to ever do an illustration about Michigan State, but I guess today I am. I'm going to take that risk. <laughs> oh, I got clapping. Yes. I got holy water for this. Um, Michigan State, <laughs> Michigan State, a lot of you might know, if you're basketball fans, you've heard of the rivalry of Michigan State with Indiana State during the time of Larry Bird and Magic Irvin. All right, Magic Johnson. Irvin Magic Johnson. There we go. <laughs> Great rivalry. And so you go back and you look at this rivalry. It all happened in college, and it came down to, to the 1979 NCAA National Championship game. To this day, that is the single most watched college basketball game. A lot of people think college basketball became popular because of that game. And these guys, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, they despised each other. Could not stand each other. A lot of you know Magic Johnson went on to win, but it didn't end there. Well, one just went to the Lakers and the other just went to the Boston Celtics. And then they battled for the entirety of the 80s. Between them, they won eight out of the ten championships in the 1980s, back and forth from college to the NBA, they were constantly at war. They did not like each other at all until they had to film a commercial together. <laughs> 1985, <laughs> 1985, Converse decided to get them to do a commercial together, actually in French Lick, Indiana, back in the in middle of nowhere in the home of uh, Larry Bird. And so they shot this commercial together, and it was distant. They weren't talking until Larry Bird's mom went up to Magic Johnson and said, Hello, can I have a country voice? Can I'm fixing to make you lunch. Right? That's bad. I don't know if they sounded like that. Um, there was a lot of knee-hitting and grits and all that. It was near the Mason-Dixon line. Okay, here's the thing. She invited him over. She gave him a hug. Oh, come, come to lunch with us. And so they sat down, and it was quiet. She knew what was going on. 
And so she started spurring conversation between them, and they started actually talking for the first time. And so here they are having this conversation, and they realized how similar they were. Like, man, we're competitors. We're from the middle of nowhere. We love our family, and we love basketball. And they ended up becoming not just good friends, great friends to this day. Magic Johnson went on to say in 1990, when he was diagnosed with HIV, one of the first people he called was Larry Bird. He said he called him, he was devastated, he didn't know what to do. And Larry, just listening to him, said, you do whatever it takes to stay alive. I'm here for you every step of the way. Do whatever it takes. And Magic Johnson, I was, I was reading all about this. He went on to say, both Larry and I are very strong, strong-willed, strong-minded. Sometimes that armor has to be weakened. And as strong as I appeared, I still needed a friend to just say, hey man, I'm here and I'm supporting you and I'm here for the long haul. You know, friendship. Friendship is something that everyone experiences and should experience from, from childhood, even through those formative years to adulthood. Our, our friends are those people we can, we can make memories with, we laugh with, we enjoy, and then they, they carry on through our, through our journey and hopefully they continue for our life. And I know we have certain friends, and I heard this illustration recently, the Im Im image of a train. And you have friends that they're on that train from the beginning into the end. And then sometimes you have friends, they jump on a mile or two miles down the road, and then they, they ride with you for a little bit, and then they get off the train and you keep going. Maybe it's because you moved. Maybe it's marriage or kid. Or, there's just different reasons. It's not always negative. Some people, they're on for 10, 20, 30 miles, 10, 20 years. But no matter what, we're supposed to have people on that train with us, journeying with us as we go on that path of life. But I want to go back to the word sacrifice. Those kind of friendships require sacrifice. The giving of something for the benefit of a friend. And so I want to put up here a couple tangible ways we can do that. Giving of your time to invest in the life of a friend. Most precious commodity we have is not money. It's time. Give them time. Give your money also to help a friend in time of need. There are times where you need to use resources to say, hey, this hurts me, but, but I'm here to help you. And I care for you. Some other ways are using your talents and gifts to bless someone by doing something they cannot do. I mean, this sounds so simple, but some of you have incredible, incredible gifts. And you use those gifts to help people. You use that to serve someone in an area where you're just deficient. If I had a nickel for how many times someone in the church has helped me with an HVAC issue. And I'm just like, hey, I don't know what's going on. And I just make a phone call. 
and instead of me having to call uh, and spend $150 for someone to show up, they're like, oh, Winston, you just did this or that wire, you tripped a breaker. I don't know how to work or, work or fix much, right? I, I just don't. I don't have some of that giftedness. But again, on the other side, if someone's like, hey, Winston, I was reading scripture, and, and I was trying to think of this verse, but I don't know where it is. It, even if I don't know it, I know where to find it. I know who to go to. And so there's areas where I, in return, can serve. That's just friendship. It's allowing your gifts to go out free, freely with those you love. And, and, and I love scripture because it just gives so many instances where we're, we're shown how to love. Love someone <laughs> as you would want to be loved. Treat others the way you'd want to be treated. Galatians 5, the whole law is in this one phrase, love others more than yourself. Even go to the next chapter, bear one another's burdens. The carrying of a burden, it doesn't mean there's no weight it just means that weight is alleviated. Right? If I'm carrying someone's burden, let's say they're holding a 50-pound weight, but it's broken off into, into 10 uh, or 5 10-pound weights. Hey, man, I see that burden you're carrying. Let me, take, let me take two of those. It doesn't mean that I'm not carrying something. It doesn't mean that I'm not getting a little workout myself. But what it means is there's a little less for them because of something that I have chose to take on, taken on. And on the flip side, there's been times I've been carrying that weight. And I'm like, oh man, here, take 10 there. Take 10 there. Take 10 there. Because I, I'm depleted. I'm empty. I need help. Some of that we can do by loving our neighbor as ourselves. I remember uh, probably about a year and a half ago, we started fostering. And we went into our second foster placement. We had a teen daughter, incredible, um, and, and she had a newborn baby. And here it is. Amanda and I, we had our, at the time, eight-year-old and a six-year-old and a one-year-old. And here we have a, a 17-year-old for the first time. No matter all those years in youth ministry, I hadn't lived 100% of the time with a 17-year-old let alone someone who had been hurt and treated harshly and battled addiction. And now she's in our home. I would love to say, Amanda and I, we navigated that perfectly, and we never were stressed and angry and confused and broke. And I would love to tell you we were just like levitating in our home, loving on our foster daughter. And she's like, wow. I appreciate you, you know? Let me read my Bible for 10 hours, you know? It just didn't happen. It just didn't happen. <laughs> there was lying. There was manipulation. There was confusion. There was testing. Are you going to love me if I do this? Fill in the blank of all the above. And a man and I, we both can say if we didn't have certain friends in our life, we would have lost our minds. We would joke with certain people. They became our counselors. We'd call them. We would vent. 
you know, on the weekends late at night, and what are we going to do? Maybe when our, when our foster daughter, when she ran away, we're like, you know, they're our first call. It's like, probably the cops should be the first call, but, but we're calling because they kept us alive. It didn't mean that it, it didn't give them any burden. It actually definitely gave them burden. They carried some of that for us, and I look back, and I don't know what I would have done without that friend. I needed them to use their unique gifts to carry some of the load that I was struggling with. We all need friends who can objectify our thoughts when we're losing our cookies and things aren't making sense. You need a friend to say, nah, you're wrong. That doesn't make sense. That thought is unhealthy. This is the truth of God's word. We need friends that are safe. When we tell them something, we know it ain't going nowhere. We need friends who care more about our walk with Christ than their walk with us. We need friends who can speak truth into our life and we know they love us, and we know they respect us, and we know that we need to hear it, and they're one of the few people who have permission to say it. We all need those kinds of friends. Sounds great, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, way too often, loneliness is just as strong in the body of Christ as if not in the body of Christ. We believers need to take the time, put our walls down, take a leap of faith, be that friend, that loving person to someone else, and accept that love from someone else. Pray for their needs, celebrate them as they achieve their goals, and just, just build them up. We all need that. And if we can confidently say right now that we don't have that and we've been attending here for a while, there's only two people at fault. Either us or you. It's probably a little of both. <laughs> and I know, and I say it and I'll say it again, that we're at a place where we're we're treading in, in the direction where we want to be a community. We want to have chili cook-offs, and, and we want to enjoy flip camps and woodside camps and, and, and church picnics and Christmas parties because those simple acts of time together amplify community. There's no magic in the chili, unless it's mine, of course. <laughs> The magic is in what the chili brings, which is two people together sharing a meal, spending time with one another. Having seen this love of Christ and how Christ defines love, let's consider how Jesus molds and shapes life in Christ, in a Christ-centered community. And that is Jesus redefines the nature of our relationship. Look at John 15, 
15, and, and this is what it says. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Love that first verse. You did not choose me. I chose you. I chose to be with you. There's a massive shift here that is, that is taking place. People who were once referred to as servants or slaves are, are now referred to as friends. <laughs> and you know what comes with friendship with Christ, with God? You know what comes with that? There's, there's freedom. There's so much freedom because he made a way, right? There was no way. Jesus made a way. And now we can have friendship and we can have connection with God because of what Jesus did. Because of him dying on that cross, there is reconciliation. There's restoration. There's freedom because of that. But also there's responsibility. Because of what he's done, because he has set us free, we have a responsibility. That second shift that has taken place comes because of God's great mercy towards us. You, know, you think about the will of God, and he's called us to this relationship with him. But with that relationship, he's given us also purpose. It's like, awesome, great. I'm free, I'm saved, but we have responsibility. No, that's a big, scary word, but our responsibility is actually what we talked about last week, which we are called to bear fruit. We are actually called to go to the nations with the power of His Holy Spirit, and we are called to bear fruit. Some of you know the fruits of the Spirit. Maybe you've heard that before. Galatians. Has, have, does anyone know one of the, the songs? The, my kids, they sing it. All the, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Yep, we, we got some people that, that know that. And so in Galatians 5.22, the first fruit that is mentioned is love. Love. John 15, 1 through 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You see, as we abide, as we love in friendship and relationship, we actually love the unlovely. We'll have loving relationships because we draw from the vine. 
not from our own passions and excitements. It's because we're actually drawing from Jesus. We learn to love as Christ loves because we realize that apart from him, we can do nothing, and in return, we start loving branches. And some of these branches are pretty nasty at times. And some of them are kind of rude, and, and some of these branches, they hurt us. When a relationship with God is where it should be, when we're walking and resting and relying, it is remarkable how loving we can be. Because walking in the way of love looks far different than we can imagine. True love. Walking in love looks far different than we could ever, ever imagine. I pray that we, we chase after this at all costs. We're a church that no matter how we've been hurt, how we've been backstabbed, no matter how many times we've walked through trauma, we are willing to take the risk for genuine, sacrificial friendship. You know, I heard this really cool illustration by uh, Charles Swindoll. He actually was talking about frogs. <laughs> and he was sharing the story of frogs, and he said, do you ever feel like a frog? <laughs> you know, frogs, they are, they're droopy, <laughs> at times ugly and putty. And, uh, and he said that frogs, uh, they want to be generous, but they're selfish. They want to be thankful, but they're filled with resentment. They want to care, but more often than not, they're indifferent. So he shares this story and goes into the story of uh, the fairy tale story that we've heard of when the prince becomes a frog, right? This evil witch casts a spell, and now you have this little droopy, nasty frog that can go back to being a prince when a beautiful maiden kisses him. The problem is, what beautiful maiden wants to kiss a frog, right? Who wants to kiss this nasty, droopy, smelly little frog? And so, miracle happens. A beautiful maiden kisses this frog, and this frog becomes a prince again, and we know the story they live happily ever after. <laughs> well, what we're supposed to do with each other, what we're called to do with each other, this does sound like a stretch. We're called to kiss frogs. <laughs> because... When we build each other up, we become kings and queens. How many of us could be so much more effective for the kingdom if someone believed in us? If someone celebrated us with our victories and stood with us when we were down? We are called as Christ's followers to be chief cheerleaders to each other in a world of cynicism and pessimism and looking at that cup half empty how about we build up the body we we cheer on each other 
We love one another. Because that's what Jesus did. (laughs) Jesus went a couple steps further. He actually died. He believed in us so much, he still went to the cross. He was abandoned, he was forsaken, and he still was a chief cheerleader for Thomas. As he doubted, unless I hold his his hands and see the scars, I won't believe, he cheered him on. He still believed in him. And Peter denied him, the one who hurt him, and, and yet he said, hey, Peter, I'm going to build you up. You're going to be a rock. You're going to be a strong, fearless leader in the church. We're supposed to do likewise. Take a risk. Build a friend. Sacrifice. Let's chase after real, genuine community. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.